0: Today I'm joined by Rico Johnson-Sinclair, a film professional, writer, creative entrepreneur and activist. Rico is founder and director of CineQ Film Festival and also currently inclusion consultant at the British Film Institute. We'll be chatting about his varied career to date, the challenges of working as a freelancer and juggling a variety of fixed-term and one-off projects. We'll also be discussing the relationship between art and activism and the importance of staying true to yourself. Rico offers a fascinating personal insight into important issues such as inclusion, diversity and mental well-being. So thanks for joining us today Rico. Thank you for having me. Okay. So um, before we start um, I've known you through various roles in in media and um, events production so so how do you describe your job? Ooh,
1: um, I think that a general term of film professional is probably what most adequately suits me however I produce films um, and additionally I produce events so I guess an amalgamation of the two I work across film but I also do events as a producer.
0: What are you working on at the moment?
1: So at the moment I am uh, freelancing for the BFI as part of their inclusion team and also some other work around racial equalities which is really interesting really engaging and then I'm just picking up little bits of freelance here and there to be honest at the moment. (laughs) just finished a role with Shout Festival as festival manager.
0: Yeah, I'd, a friend of mine referred to her as, as a, a portfolio career, and I thought that was quite a nice way of putting it, because it does it kind of explain that it is, there's a whole bunch of different strands that you do. Can you give us a brief summary of of your career so far? Sure.
1: Yeah. So I started actually when I went to college and did performing arts with an with an emphasis on dance, which is so far away from what I'm doing at the moment. Um, but whilst I was on that course, I mean, for one, I got place to apply for university, but for two, it allowed me to realise that I didn't really want to be on the stage or in front of the camera, but I was really interesting stories. Now, because I was going to film, I really should have picked media practice, but then I was like. It's not going to be employable enough if I'm hinging all of my kind of like hopes on the fact that I'm going to get to film and probably going to have my hopes dashed. It's more conceivable if I go into um, production for live events and TV because at least then I'm learning elements that I can take into film, but I'm not tying myself down. So that's what I studied. Regretted it <laughs> completely because now my focus is in film and I've worked in the film industry for a while. And so yeah um, media practice probably could have helped me um but i really enjoyed the course um learned a lot about uh, the industry but learned a lot also also a lot about um networking and connecting with various people because i think that was really what i took away from uni then i graduated i was in london i was paying like 950 pounds in rent and th- thinking like what am i doing um like doing odd jobs but nothing really sustainable So when I got back to Birmingham I actually um, had a psychotic break a year before so I was in a situation where I didn't really know if I could work Um, so that that means I I was experiencing auditory and visual hallucinations that were fairly mild comparative to what they were before but they were still there Um, and so I said to myself I'm gonna see if I can work by volunteering at like 17 different arts organisations and basically filling out volunteering like I would a full-time job, because then I didn't I wasn't beholden to an organisation. Like I didn't have the responsibility, but I had a lot of the work. Um, and then I think the first opportunity that I had to like really kind of work was at Flatpak. And it was part of a, a course that the independent cinema run called FEDS, which stands for Film Exhibition, Distribution and Sales. Um, And so they, it's basically a a paid traineeship. So you go and you sit within an organisation and then they pay you like London Living Wage every month that you're at the organisation to train, to learn, to grow. Um, And I was thankfully placed at Flatpak, incredible organisation. that Do a lot of work around um, cinema, but also expanded cinema and how the crossover between art and live art and cinema. And while I was there, I built... um, well, what's now a film festival called Cinecube, but, but but back then it was a community cinema. So it was literally uh, <laughs> like we went to Centrala once every two months, um, put on a queer film hopes and hopes an audience would turn up. Um, and over time, it's, it's developed into something else. And that was born just from a conversation with my line manager at the time, who's, who we were talking about and how queer audiences or, or, or audiences that want to see queer film often don't have the opportunity to see it on the big screen because it's not being programmed. Um, and so they will often turn to you know streaming sites like Netflix or Amazon, or they'll turn to piracy if they really want to see a film that isn't available on those platforms. Um, and she was just like, well, why don't you build something like that then? Because there's there's scope for it. And I was like, okay, then I will. And so I did. <laughs> so cynic is something that I've been doing for four years now. And it's strange because it's always there, but it's never the thing that is my job. It's always the thing that I'm doing on top of my job um, because it, it only pays at a certain period of the year. And that's like three months before the festival and a month after the festival. I can pay myself but then the rest of the time i'm doing it for free Um, unless i get like um commissions if you program three queer films over the next three months we'll pay you x amount of money Um, and that's how that navigates um so we pay ourselves and then any profit goes back into the organization yeah so i guess after flat pack so i went to work for Birmingham LGBT as their campaign manager um and and ran a campaign called aging with pride which Um, was about visibility for older LGBT people and the issues that they were facing I ran that for 18 months and got loads of experience but really it was about my work on Synecube because having that one sustainable form of income and so that allowed that that allowed me space to kind of I would work that job from nine to five and then when I left at five my time was my own and it was the first time that that had ever been a thing, so I was able to like really invest time into this in the queue and like what I wanted to be and how I wanted it to grow. So that's when I had my first like fully fledged festival that's in a queue and it like went really well. I think it was due to the fact that there was so much demand for it. We had the festival in March and we had three sold out screenings at the MAC and then several like really well attended screenings at Mockingbird as as well. And then like um, some workshops at Central that were also really well attended. Um, And so we made a success out of it. I managed to kind of like engage a few other people in the community that were interested in film as well, which felt really positively about. I was thinking about like how to build on that, how to evolve from that. Um, Meanwhile, I was looking again at like my work and like what I wanted to do. I was doing a lot of freelance at that time, picking up like odd jobs. My first kind of like big job after that was um, Coventry City of Culture. And basically my job was to go into Coventry and talk to communities and people interested in film or people that weren't really interested in showing film, but had an interest in their community and the kinds of films they could show to their community and develop like a a community voice around film in Coventry. Coventry in a lot of ways is a forgotten city. um, And I think that project was about changing that. But then coronavirus happened, so. Um, a lot of that changed like because we couldn't have in real life events it was all about kind of like nurturing those partnerships doing training digitally so people can understand like how you put together from events um, but I took over a festival manager of Shout Festival so I was working two jobs for like three months trying to like I basically asked Shout to allow me to work four days a week and I was working at uh, Coventry City of Culture for that other day a week. So yeah that was that was fun (laughs) um and then was working on shout festival um in november which was a completely digital edition um which was really interesting working with artists is always super interesting especially like a queer arts and culture festival like it is really close to my own interests and close to a lot of the things that i find compelling about art the ways to tell narratives and stories and connect communities um so now i'm in a situation where i'm I'm happily employed. I mean, my, my freelance stuff with, with the inclusion team at the BFI is it's great. Um, it's really engaging and interesting, but also because it's like a set amount of days for a set amount of money, we also couldn't do other stuff. I produced a film. It was amazing. I really enjoyed it. But also there's something um, difficult about being a producer if you have an obsession with stories or if you're a, a writer at heart because, Essentially, you put a lot of time and a lot of effort into bringing someone else's vision to life. Because she brought us to this country. Mama, me so sweet. Mama, me so sweet. sweet. Lord, I beg, please do not let my son born in eternal hellfire. Sweet Sweet in my dreams. dreams. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with you. You deserve to be happy. And so the 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 selfless part of you was obviously like this is amazing this is so much fun but then the selfish part of you was like i just put in so much effort and there's nothing that that's really feels like it's mine it's not close to like my vision of the world or what i want to create so like in my head i implemented like a one for me one for you rule where i continue to produce for other people but in between producing for other people i have to be doing things for me so um Yeah, I wrote my own short last year and developed it over the year, and I put in for the most recent bid for the short film fund for the BFI. So that is interesting. So yeah, that's my career up until this point.
0: (laughs) This is why I asked you. I thought I'll ask one question and just let him go. (laughs) You've answered all of my questions. (laughs) Brilliant. One thing's quite interesting there that you're talking about managing sort of some of your career decisions were about managing your mental well-being as well as trying to find a way of earning an income which I thought was quite interesting so do you feel that the freelance sort of portfolio career aspect to it helps you manage that or would you actually prefer to be in a nine-to-five job
1: (laughs) yeah freelancing absolutely doesn't help me manage that three main problems with freelancing work isn't sustainable um work is short-term and also invoices just never get paid on time <laughs> so you always have to leave like an additional month at the end of your invoice to make sure that like you you're giving enough time allowance for you to actually have that money in the bank working freelance and having like any kind of mental resilience left it requires you to be so organized you need to have a spreadsheet of all your projected income you need to like have a calendar that you use and put things in like even if you're working off your own back like at the moment i'm doing stuff obviously freelance for the bfi um there's no set time for me to do those things they've just said x amount of days you've got this amount of tasks there's no deadlines like you just need to finish by like the end of your days and you can't get paid your second half until you finished um but still in my calendar in the morning I have like you know look at various different proposals at like 10 a.m till 3 p.m because if it's not in there like I'm not doing it because now I've gotten to a point where like I have to check my calendar to figure out what I'm doing for the day because there's just so much of it um but equally it's exciting to do freelance work. I think the the best thing about freelance work is like you're dipping in and out of different projects. So you get a wealth of experience, but also you develop your own like agency around work. And so you learn to be self-motivated as opposed to motivated by a force, which becomes a really like big strength when you're trying to be a professional, because you know, you can pace yourself, you're not going, full tilt for someone else you know how long it takes for you to do a certain task and that that leaves room for negotiation especially if you work in the arts.
0: Some good advice there about the the discipline required to actually juggle so many different contracts. So you were talking about CineQ and obviously that's a a very personal project to you and it's one that you set up. I thought it was interesting you said you're director of CineQ but it's not actually your job you don't consider it your full-time kind of (laughs) occupation. A word that you've used a lot is community. From, from your own perspective you're part of several communities. What I've seen from your work is, is trying to um, bring those kind of communities together and kind of break down potential barriers or potential um, issues with, with conflicts within communities. Would it be fair to say that you consider your role as, as activism as well as art?
1: I say this, and it's a bit arrogant or self-serving, but actually, I don't think I'd be able to do a job where I wasn't doing some form of activism as part of it. And I don't think I, I don't think I would work in the arts if I didn't see some elements of what I was doing as activism, um, because I don't see the point in it. I don't think art can exist in its own right in a world like the world we currently live in. I think it needs to be contributing something to the conversation. And in my own experiences, like growing up, because I'm I'm queer, I'm I'm Black, so I'm a queer person of colour, but also like the stigma of mental health and like my own issues with mental health. Like there's a lot there that I had to unpack at various different points in my life, whether it was um, like wanting to be part of the Black community because of like conversations around race, but then realizing that my queerness stopped me from being fully entrenched in that community or like being part of the queer community and actively being ostracized because of my blackness. And similarly, when I speak about mental health and people treat me completely different from the way that they treat me before, like these are all connecting factors in my life and all of my experiences. Now, uh, what kind of person would I be if I had those detrimental experiences and I could see that they were ingrained in society, so they weren't significant, they weren't specific to me. They have happened to a lot of people throughout the ages and still happen to a lot of people currently. What kind of person would I be if I had the power or the knowledge or the know-how or, the, or an avenue to tackle that in an everyday capacity and I didn't? Then it has to be towards something more than just my own income, just my own supplementing myself, and that's kind of my opinion on it. I've always managed to support myself by being connected to the arts in some capacity, and I'm incredibly lucky to say that.
0: So you feel that the art has a really important role to play in, in raising awareness of these um, issues and and also bringing different voices to, to the people, yeah?
1: Yeah, I think that there's something levelling about art. Even if you don't go to cinema to watch film, you get it beamed into your house, you can go on Netflix on the evening and connect with something. And so I find it really interesting that there's this thing that can imagine new worlds that can, uh, can like can transport you into a new world. that's also capable of... Um, completely changing your perspective or world view. Like I, when I was growing up and I came out to my, my family, I noticed there was a huge difference the way they treated me when, before they watched the soap storyline that featured two gay men, and after they watched the soap storyline when really? they featured two gay men. And it was like noticeable. It was like, it was like by connecting to this thing that they didn't have any personal stake in and saw the story unfold on the screen, they were able to understand me a little better, not, like not like a huge amount, but like a little bit better. There was definitely like a kindness that wasn't there beforehand. And so me like understanding that this was like a really powerful thing, even that small seemingly insignificant difference was huge to me because I was experiencing it. You know, talking to someone about racism for an hour and a half, that might be a little bit difficult for someone that you know wasn't used to that environment to deal with. But if they're accessing a film which talks very nuanced about racism, they'll be more likely to engage in that because it's there's that, le- that level of separation there isn't that in, like intimidation there I guess so yeah that's something that I'm kind of like interested in
0: yeah I think it's it's that that idea that you know arguments on social media and that kind of like uh, black and white discussions can actually create more barriers and, and sort of entrenched positions whereas if you see it told within a story within a wider narrative and as you say in a more nuanced Kind of way, it allows people that time to process that and think about different perspectives, rather than it being a confrontational thing. That fits in exactly with what you're saying. Your role is with the inclusion team at the BFI. So the British Film Institute has got an inclusion team. So could you tell me about what is the work that you're doing with that team?
1: They're an incredible team. They're an incredible team. It's actually more about equity. So it's about giving giving a group or a community or even an individual the exact resources they need to put them online with everyone else and so as that narr- as that language is changing also the actions and the narratives within the organization are changing so it's really hard to tangibly say what i'm doing i'm doing a lot of investigation a lot of research and a lot of work around race and, equ- and equity and equality um, a lot of great interesting work
0: the difference between equity and equality is an interesting distinction, I think, because again, equity, you can see that as defining, sort of giving, as you said, giving people the the means to become more equal. So just to finish up, um, if you're talking to young people starting out now, starting on their educational careers, looking for a career in the arts, in media, what do you think the most important characteristics they need to really persevere?
1: I think the more personable you are, just the more open honest like and like personable with people the more opportunities will come your way because I think that people want to work with other people that are skilled yes but they also want to work with people that they get on with I would say learn as much as you can about the world around you but also about what you're trying to do I'd, I'd say like do a lot of things get a lot of skill in a lot of things do a lot of things in your spare time so you become a jack of all trades and then once you get in you can focus on that one thing that brings you joy and develop that
0: wise words yeah, I think the, the personable angle is really important because, as you said, you know, a lot of what you're intending to do with your work is challenging perceived or, or entrenched views. It's not easy to do that if you're being confrontational about it. And in fact, you're likely to actually have the opposite effect. Whereas, actually, if people like you and if you're getting on and you're personable, they're more likely to listen when you might start having slightly more difficult conversations or raising things that may be uncomfortable
1: yeah i agree wholeheartedly the the amount of conversations that i've gotten into with people that i haven't made myself personable with and been shut down immediately i find like by and large i have i have conversations with people that are more expansive than just saying like you are wrong as a society as a community like our conversation and our like cross communication is essential to dismantling some of those barriers and sort of exacerbating them
0: That's great, Rico. So thanks very much for your time and uh, all the best with your script. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you.